Back from the summer break and raring to go, welcome to the 2013 edition of Hand of Pod. You know when you were kids and you got back to school on after the first day after the summer holidays, you pick up a pen and realise you can't write anymore. I feel a bit like that. I'm not sure how to anchor a podcast anymore. Um, but here goes. I'm Sam Kelly. Um, welcome to Underpod. I'm flanked. Well, not exactly flanked because they're not either side of me precisely, but uh, joined by, as usual, um, Joel Richards. Hola, muchachos. And English Dan. Hello, and welcome back. Uh, Happy New Year, both of you. Likewise. Have you enjoyed your, your breaks? It's been good, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Dan hasn't re- returned many of my calls, but apart from that... Well, um, times are hard, you know, times are busy. <laughs> but stuck on them. You've been, you've, been, um, you've been at the Macri parties too much, haven't you? You've been... Pretty, yeah. Supporting you support in the summer. Yeah, exactly. Oh, all your fuck, pro-politics. I fucking hate them today. I had to um, get down to the centre at 8 o'clock in the morning. Because now they've shut the, the underground by my houses. At least Sam will know very well from coming Indeed. today yeah. and six buses went past four people oh, without really? being even able to get in if you walk up to the red line it's really not that far to walk I think I did it in about ten minutes coming now um, it's not that far thing is when, you're in the, when it's the morning every second counts you know I'm sure yeah. <laughs> absolutely um, I hope neither of you have been paying too much attention to the summer friendlies although we're going to have to get on to them at some point because we are after all an Argentine football podcast um, but the, the big story of the day that we, we, we were expecting to just be rounding up a few loose ends transfer talk and so on to free up some time uh, for the Torneo Final preview podcast next week um, and Julio Grondona this morning went and ruined those plans slightly by actually giving us something to talk about does one of you want to explain exactly what this was? I haven't seen much in this, so I'll, I'll open the floor to, to Joe on this. Well, he gave an interview on the, on the radio, Grondon, obviously, the, um, in that sort of category of, and, and certainly position in Argentine football, he only really speaks when they want to. Um, and he had something to say, which is that he's going to see out the rest of his current term of office at AFA as AFA president which ends in 2015 um, as we all know he's been in charge since 1979 and then he says it's time for the younger ones to come through yeah, that's all he said so far up and coming 60 year olds <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. So, uh, so yeah as I said I mean as I pointed at there I mean we're looking at what Thirty, however many years, uh, thirty-six years in, in charge at AFA. Um, everyone here always kind of likes to list the, the, the presidents that he's he's outlived. I mean, on a political level, it's, it's not an achievement. It does beg the question, though, and it's, it's a long time to be talk. We're going to be talking about it because if it's not happening for another two years, um, but who's going to take over? Um, you get the impression it would be the, as they sort of say in, in Mexican politics, the, the dazzle, you know, the big finger, the big, uh, it's you, um, as it'll be a grand honor's choice, there's no reason to think it won't be anything other than that, um, but it's, a lot, it's a, lot, a lot of time to look forward to, and a lot of time where there's going to be a lot of political manoeuvring going on, obviously to try and get that, that top job. 
So if we're looking at someone that you would say would be Rondon and success, you might be thinking of people, I don't know, like Luis Segura from Argentinos, who's very close to... Um, one of the one of the things that was mentioned by the president's also very close to Gurundana, but I can't remember his name. One of the things that was mentioned by Lanacion on their sport website, Kanchashena, today was that um, Segura and a couple of others are, are probably slightly too old um, to be taking over from Gondana, not that, that necessarily. Uh, well, it's no problem if they stick to kind of five years, years, ten years. They're very much going to be thirty, kind of, then it's yeah, not great. They're very much off this kind of generation. But Lerche, um, as Joel says, the uh, the president of Colón, um, Lanusa's president as well, is is very friendly with him. I've forgotten his name. Um, <laughs> and they're the kind of uh, Russo, yeah. Well done, yes. Yeah, the, the kind of younger, uh, Miguel Angel Silva, who's one of the vice presidents at Arsenal, of course, the, the club that Granada founded and supports. Um, we have had a question, in fact, about this from Luis Gersone, who asks what the chances are of somebody other than Umbertito, who is Julio Granada's son, uh, taking over the well, that, I don't think Umbertito's. No, well, well, given I, how, I know, how much Granada trashed him after the, the under 20s. Yeah. It doesn't sound like it's um, all, all happy in the Granada family right now. Yeah, no, that's very true. No, I, I did see somewhere or other that this, they were suggesting. I don't know whether it was tongue in cheek, maybe it was, but um, but I mean, it's, it's not out of the question because no, I mean, what I mean, why, why on earth wouldn't it? I mean, he already yeah. gave Umberto or Umbertito the uh, full full sort of, uh, control of the of the youth system, so there's no reason why it wouldn't be. But um, but obviously, with it comes most probably a FIFA well it does come obviously a FIFA um, position there it would be interesting as well what it means to FIFA certainly in Argentina uh, a lot of people point to the fact that uh, that Grondona is enormously important for Blatter Sepp Blatter um, not only is he in charge of the FIFA vice president of course most importantly uh, and when you look at FIFA's uh, income uh, Grondona is, is absolutely vital. He's in charge of the television and rights right. section of, of FIFA. So that's an enormously important position. Uh, many people say, as I said, that for Blatter, he's, he does a lot of the work sort of behind the scenes. So he's not uh, as, as obviously visible as, as Seth Blatter is, but, but he's been a very important politician for, for the current FIFA president. So it'll be very interesting. It's not just AFA here that's, that's been... No, it's going to be the whole... Yeah, it's going to be a major shake-up. So it'll be fascinating to see what happens. Yeah. But as I said, it's, it's a long time away. I, I don't know what, what month in 2015. I'm, I want to say late in 2015. Well, it is, yeah. Still I'm trying the, to think. The election in 2011 was September. No? The election in 2011 yeah. was September. Right, it's still two and a half years away. So, yeah. It's, it's a lot of time for political movements to come in. Absolutely. Good news of an announcement I don't think anybody really expected to ever hear either. Grandona has spent so, so much, particularly in the last kind of decade, always saying, when I leave the AFA, it's going to be in a in a box, <laughs> effectively. Um, and of course, I mean, that, that'll probably turn out to be true, because no doubt he's going to be given an honorary kind of life presidency of, of some sort, even if he never decides to, uh, to actually go into the building anymore. He'll, he'll still be the, the name at the top of the list, let's say, for the advert. It would um, be, uh, also just, just going to throw it out there, I wonder whether, in terms of a, sh a real shake-up of organisation and, and what have you, of, of Argentine football, if the clubs will dare to move as well, it's up to the clubs to. What I was wondering. It's up, up to the clubs to. If anything's going to change, uh, it's up to the clubs. And anything that's good and anything that's bad about Argentine football has to be um, attributable to to Grondona because he's been in yeah. charge since '79. Yeah. And it's not, I'm not going to get into just a, you know because it's very easy to say oh it's all bad it's all bad you know good and bad things have happened. Um, 
but um, yeah, it's, it's up to the clubs to change this. Yeah. And, no, and up to that juncture is the, is the time to do it if they're going to do it. At yeah, time. this is the time. I mean, no, we've talked around here, well, uh, around the time of the election, um, for instance, we, we, we discussed the fact that a lot of even the clubs that might genuinely want Rondana out don't want to be seen to be voting against him, and the vote isn't secret, it, it's, it's public. Yeah. And for that reason, um, a lot of the clubs were voting for him when maybe they didn't want him in. And the fact that now, as it seems at the moment at least, I'm, I'm not even going to say that he's definitely not going to stand again at this stage, um, but if he doesn't stand again and, and they are able to vote for an alternative, it'll be interesting to see what happens mm. Um but we shall have to wait and see, but we, we couldn't obviously begin the podcast without mentioning that. Uh, the, the rather less interesting, less exciting, but um, more mundane side of affairs is that over the January period, particularly as uh, anybody who's spent summer in, in Argentina will know, the country effectively shuts down. Everybody leaves Buenos Aires and heads to the beach or maybe to, to Córdoba or Mendoza. Almost everyone's in. I stayed. Or Parque Centenario. Or Parque Centenario, yeah. Or Europe, yeah. in my case. Um, the same. Had to get in there. Yeah, yeah. You went to Europe now. Tell us all about it. I don't know what I mentioned. Um, I think it might have come up a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yes, what this this means, of course, is that the the big clubs and indeed the the not so big clubs go on their tours around the country and, and play the, the summer friendlies. There's there's one a vital one taking part place tonight. I use the word vital in very large inverted commas. Um, Boca Juniors play River Plate Boca Juniors reserves play River Plate's first team in fact um, this evening but has, has anybody paid any well we're not going to mention that you know you guys are going to mock me mercilessly but Racing won the Copa Centenario I thought you might beating Boca and River and drawing with Independiente to finish yeah, it was like a quadrangular series I guess you could say and this was in Mar del Plata wasn't it in Mar del Plata yeah. uh, a no. cup that was called the, Copa Centenario the, the Centenary Cup for uh, the Centenary Cup of Liga Marplatense League, yeah, yeah. Um, and which didn't feature any teams from the Marplatense League. No, nah, but I guess they were organised. They celebrating it. Um, did yeah. you did you rejoice? Did you rejoice that that victory? I was happy. Then, yeah, I've got to say I was happy. I mean, no, no, we all no, know no, they're friendly. You know, they're of limited appeal, but it's good. You know, it's a good way to start the year. I mean, mostly you've been looking at Racing in in this January, and it's all been pretty bad news. Kind of talk about players leaving which I'm sure we'll get onto in a little bit and then some guy turning up dead in the uh, club swimming pool which was also a yeah that, we have to talk about that um, before we do um, also cruises <laughs> which were very good well that's there's a bit of a theory about that but anyway um, no in terms of like the the importance of these yeah. these pre-season tournaments I mean I just it's incredible how serious it's all been taken I don't know if it's always been like this or if this this year has felt particularly more but I mean you know like the, the features the posters the, the photoshopped Posters that um, that uh, that all the clubs have, have taken out when after the wins. River did it after beating Boca. Racing did it after winning their you know your, your that tournament. And you think is it really that important? I mean, do, do fans really enjoy that much, or is it just they've got nothing else to do? I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, that obviously obviously plays a part. I mean, we're starved of football for nearly three months here, from middle of December, well, two months let's say, yeah. middle of December to middle of February. There's nothing, and then all of a sudden the teams come in. There's a buzz about it. They're going to the beach, and people do get excited, like. It's the um, the heroes coming back and football. You know, we all know football's taken really seriously here, yeah, more than yeah. ever if they're playing the rivals. You know, Racing in the space of a week and a half played Boca, River, and Independiente. They're like three biggest rivals, mm. one two and drew one, which it was a nil nil and but, a very good game. But you're right. But yeah, people get excited. Obviously, more than anything, if your team wins, because 
Yeah, it, it is Sinjai. interesting what, what's, what Sam pointed out just there about the, the super classical ones, which is that Ramon Diaz is putting out full teams. Bianchi is doing quite the opposite. And, and it's interesting like with the tactics there, because on the one like hand... Diaz's yeah. reasoning for putting out a full strength team. To respect the fixture and also because Mendoza is the river. Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, that's just... He's just Cancha de Anna, though. He's just, he's just winding up Boca. But, but it's interesting, though, because, I mean, on the one hand, there's that. But also, there is the theory that when you start playing your first team, your first 11 as soon as possible to get to know each other. Well, yeah. Um, Especially but, if you had a couple of players come in and... Exactly. But the on the other side, you've got Bianchi, who's basically saying, no, hang on, I'm going to get my players' top fitness levels. Yeah. You know, the kids can go out and play and then sit on the bench. But I need players doing, you know, triple... Um, sessions in, in, yeah. uh, during the day uh, for another week to get them into full fitness so I've got to say I'm surprised by that because I remember first of all we can say Boca have had a pretty pretty shoddy pre-season so far they lost to Racing 2-1 and then went down to River 2-0 then this came is, back with the pre-season the thing it's the pre-season it's the pre-season yeah but I remember right. back I think it was 2010 mm. when Boca had a similarly similarly Disappointing pre-season and Bianchi was in there as the manager. Yeah, and he left. Him. Like mm. And he left in pre-season. Vasile lost his job. Was yeah, mixed. essentially because of you know they had come from a pretty disappointing season uh, at the end of 2009. But yeah, those uh, pre-season results I can't remember. I think they lost a couple of times against River Say and it was enough to push him over the edge. Like Bianchi knows, you know, obviously he's an absolute idol in Boca, and mm. it's not like a couple of defeats and pre-seasons is going to have any sort of questions against him. But I would have thought. He'd want at least kind of to register one win against River in pre-season, just just to get a bit of m- momentum with the club and get a bit of momentum by the fans. So surprising me if he's if he's going out as you say with uh, with youth players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit surprising. We've still got another Super Classico to play. Maybe in Cordoba they'll put in yeah <laughs> three three Super Classicos before. That's ridiculous. That is yeah. pure business. Pure. I don't know any at all last season. Remember in, in the league at least they, last summer they did of course, but. Uh, because they've got some catching up to do in terms of the Super Classic also they need to stage and the Copa yeah, we've, we've had one since we've had one of the, uh, the Monumental in the in the Inicial the Copa I can think of it didn't go as planned either no it's very true River didn't reach the final of that one of course Boca brought out a, a controversial kit just for the oh, it's disgusting well what was the controversy here I've not heard about this I haven't been away uh, well it wasn't blue purple, and yellow to start yeah purple shirts Okay. The purple and it was purple and violet, you can say. Yeah, it's more. Yeah, it's violet. It's close to yeah. violet. Right? Well, it's, it's, it's just for the summer. Yeah, pink and violet. So. It's just for the summer tournaments. Fantastic. And I was in Mar del Plata for the Racing Boca game, and I already saw that was the first match they played in the summer, and I already saw a couple of a couple of people going around with that shirt. Yeah. So yeah, it's pure marketing, pure kind of squeezing every single penny you can out of your, your fans who would have thought it football being a business who would have thought it yeah, yeah. who would have thought it bizarre yeah. um, has anyone noticed what the pre-seasons have been like of any of the teams that aren't in the big five do we know any results at all for sides like Lanús Vélez I know that Vélez have lost a couple of games they lost against Cerro Porteño after a beautiful goal from River Target Jonathan Johnny smashed people's heads into car windows Fabra <laughs> That was the thing that came out in um, the Paraguayan press a while back. Uh, he had a bit of an altercation with, I think it was like the boyfriend of some girl, and he ended up fighting in the streets. And the the kid kind of got the worst of it after after Johnny got going. But you know, 
rough, rough hands to go to ask about that. The thing, the thing that I found most amusing was that when the um, there was a lot of transfer speculation linking Fabro to River, um, it was yeah. the telenovela of the summer. It was unbearable, pretty much, and it got very, very dull. And at one point, a couple of weeks ago, and it was kind of at its height before the deal fell away, uh, his brother was arrested for burglary here in Buenos Aires. <laughs> Which you just think, I mean, both of his other, both of this guy's brothers are fairly rich and fairly famous footballers. Why not see breaking into people's houses? <laughs> but um, it happened. Um, so, Cerro Porteño beat Venice. Venice played somebody the other day, some second or third division side. Um, yeah, I'm Doc sure. Seward or something, I think. We've got a 2 1 win, I saw that. That's about all I, yeah. I did see. Tigre, um, you might have heard me mention, listeners, uh, oh. a few minutes ago that, that Tigre have scored again just while John and Dan were talking. Um, as we record, they are not playing pre season again, they're playing competitively. They're away to Antswategui in Venezuela in the Copa Libertadores qualifiers and they're currently with about 7 minutes to go they're 4-1 up on aggregate 2-0 on the night um, so it looks like Tigre are going to be having just been in the Copa Sudamericana final last year just well last month really um, did we mention how that finished? I can't I remember if we recorded afterwards because that's, that's pretty noteworthy oh you're right yeah it was uh, we'll, we'll get on to that in a second uh, but having, having managed to reach that final the first ever continental final they're now about to go into the Copa Libertadores group stage for the first yeah. time in their history as well and now um, English Dan will tell us how the final against San Paolo in the Copa Sudamericana finished because it was quite a story it was indeed I believe and we didn't mention it because I was in Paris by the time the second leg got played you went to Europe then? yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah well. Oh, nice. <laughs> I hope at the time at the end we can, we can hear more about it. Yeah. Mm. It'd be nice. Yeah, basically it was quite in, quite incredible scenes. It was the second leg in uh, in the Morumbi Sapala Stadium uh, after Tigre, I think, got a 0-0 draw in, in Victoria. With that, in in La Bombonera, mm. of course, yeah. And so, yeah, and they went over there kind of, obviously, rank, rank outsiders against Sao Paulo with Lucas and uh, Jads and all their, all their stars with Fabiano and it showed basically I think there was a very bad tempered first half um, Sao well, Paulo went warm up as well wasn't there when Tigre were Sao Paulo's security staff were trying to stop Tigre from warming up yeah there was all sorts on, of on funny the pitch they made them do it behind the advertising hoardings behind the pitch um, yeah. And Tigre kind of broke onto the pitch to one of the advertising audience yeah. and walked on. So it's all they, they were getting pretty, um, pretty rough treatment from the, the ground staff, the security staff in uh, in Sao Paulo. And then so Sao Paulo went up two 0 uh, two 0 in the first half. One goal was from Lucas. I can't remember who the other one was. And it was a pretty bad tempered first half. Like, there was a lot of well, kind fights on the field. I think like, was some, there was a player sent off. It was definitely a player sent off. Yeah. Time. Uh, maybe I think it was one of the subs. I, I yeah, forget. But it was something like that. Because basically. Just completely got washed yeah. over after what happened at half time. Yeah, and then yeah, half time basically all all hell broke loose. Like they were fighting on the field, and eventually they managed to sort of get both teams got ushered down the tunnel. And then that's where it all gets well shocking, really, and all, also a little bit confused and um, unclear because there was Tigre Tigre players saying you know they had guns shoved in their faces by military police and they were getting hit and they were getting yeah all sorts of assaults were taking place and from that they refused to come out on the field for the second half and Sao Paulo came out on the field and started doing the warm-ups and stuff Tigre didn't make an appearance and after a while they just decided alright we'll give Sao Paulo the cut then and they went in 
lifted the trophy yeah. without TD and Lap of Honor. The thing, Lap of Honor. What seems to have happened uh, from the the various accounts that were given by Tigre and by the um, San Paolo security forces and then by the Brazilian police who, who sort of have to press it up to everybody else they asked the Brazilian police and the police said well there are bits of truth to both sides and so the story that seemed to come out was that Tigre uh, felt aggrieved at what happened just before half time and tried to break into San Paolo's dressing room and the security forces there were, there were two guys from the stadium security standing in their way who called him back up and the backup arrived rather heavy-handed with, as you say, guns and, um, and started doing all the rest of the stuff that you've just mentioned. And the referee then was saying to Tigre's officials, if you don't want to come out for the second half, I'm going to have to postpone the second half and it will have to be played at a later date. At which Tigre's officials said, we're not coming out for the second half, we don't think that we're, we're safe if we do. Um, and it was only after that that the decision was actually taken not to postpone the second half but to call it off altogether and to allow the result to stand which Tigre obviously felt very aggrieved about indeed and there's another wonderful goal from Tigre nice header uh, 3-0 um, so yeah it, it was interesting anyway yeah. watching and it sort of capped uh, a very up and down very topsy-turvy six months with Tigre yeah he had the, that incredible run to the Sudamerica final Juxtaposed well, with 12 months really with the relegation struggle that they got through last year sure well. yeah but if we just take um, it from the Inicial like, yeah. and a really really awful campaign yeah, with the Inicial which cost Arruabuena his job somewhat harshly he could, well, well they didn't win in about 12 games though, did they I mean it was well yeah, you're right. Americana, like, yeah yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. No. Arruabuena is he back in management now? No, no, he's not yet. Um, the 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 Sud Americana final was a historic low though for for a Commonwealth. It really it was organised. Yeah. Uh, hey, by by the regulations, yeah. they were they were right that if the team doesn't come out, but the problem is that in those kind of accusations, it's very difficult to to square up this. Yeah. You know, just going by the rule book and saying you know if, you, if there are allegations that you know the security forces have been uh, have had guns in their faces then then clearly that's that's reason not to come out the other side is as you mentioned those there's also something else going on here Sao Paulo said that Tire followed them down and, and yeah. were looking for a fight so, so you, what the main thing about this though and I think it's very difficult to quite understand how this is possible in this day and age I don't know. there are no photos and there's no video of yeah. what happened down there but it's right. I don't know but if you were watching the final it, but basically the police made a complete cordon across the tunnel so no press could get in no, no sure, there's, not even, there's no CCTV but not even, but not even players so I mean no. every, every single player these days has got um, you know, one of the, you know yeah. iPhone or Blackberry or whatever they can mm. record it I find it very, very difficult to, to believe that there's nothing not a single yeah. especially with the coverage that Brazilian uh, media has which is fantastic they've got cameras absolutely everywhere you know, all in all, it's very strange that there's yeah. no, there's no, there's no footage but I don't of, know, of what happened. Yeah, but I don't know how you guys feel, but to me, it kind of feels like this was the natural ending point in something that's been building for a lot of years. Because how many times have you seen? It happens in a lot of continental games, whether it's Libertadores or Sudamericano, like yeah, important games. But how many? But more than anything, between Argentine and Brazilian teams, mm. how many times do they end games absolutely kicking the shit out of each other on the field? Yeah, like at the final whistle. I remember, what was it, Argentinos Juniors against Fluminense, it would have been in yeah. 2011, where people were flying with, flying in with karate kicks, and yeah. God knows what. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, we all say about, you know, how Argentine authorities have so much trouble controlling players, controlling fans, but it shows it's, it's a continental problem, like, yeah, you can't sure. just blame, blame uh, Argentina, like, something, something's going wrong, and I've seen a lot of things, you know, examples of crowd disturbances, and fights on the pitch in Brazil as well like, 
It's something no, no, of course, on a continent level they just don't wanna seem to don't seem to want to get to get grips with. And well if they don't these things are gonna happen, like, especially on big occasions when temperatures rise rise, if they can't control it properly, then when? What do you want? Absolutely. Um, so having revisited Tigre's uh, final um, glory and having now just seen as I was talking, the referees just blown full time, so they are in the, the, the group stage of the Copa Libertadores. How do we think they're going to do? Do we give them a chance? I, it all depends on who they've got. If you can tell us who they've got, it would be very I'll, I'll tell you in a minute, they're in group two. Throwing out a question like that willy nilly. Um, they, they're in group two, which puts them against Sporting Cristal of Peru, Palmeiras of Brazil, and Libertad of Paraguay. That's you've got to say they've got. Uh, Palmeiras and Libertad. Yeah, they got um, a sporting chance to get in second, you'd say. Well, Palmeiras went down to the Serie B, no? Yeah, they're down, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, they went down. Oh, well. So, so it's up to them. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, on one hand, yeah. on one hand, because of the Libertadores, they're holding on to a lot of their players. But on the other hand, I mean, the focus has got to be on from promotion. Well, yeah. So I'll go, I'm not sure which would they be playing the. the oh no, it'll still be the states, yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. Until May. So, yeah, it's going to be. So actually, this plays completely against them, <laughs> against Tigre's chances. <laughs> yeah. Because the, the regional Brazilian competitions are Sunday league. Yeah, it's just a bit of that, really. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one, though. I think the draw's more or less kind to them, you know, considering the other teams in it. And they could. They got a, yeah, they've got a sporting chance of getting out of it, mm. depending on, you know, if they show what they did. You know, a very good result against um, Anzuatei. And. Yeah, well, we'll have to see. Seems like a decent excuse to segue seamlessly um, into the other Argentine sides in the Copa Libertadores. Uh, Tom Beck has sent us in a question on Twitter asking how we how we rate all of their chances and claiming he says that surely Bellis have got the best chance to go far. Um, but I'll just go through the groups that we already know. We've got Group 1, Boca Juniors, they're in it, along with Barcelona. Don't get too excited. It's uh, Ecuadorian. Ecuadorian side called Barcelona. Um, and Toluca of Mexico and Nacional of Uruguay. Um, Arsenal de Sarandí are in Group 3 with the strongest. The One of the teams who've got among my favourite names in world football. Um, of Bolivia. Atletico Mineiro of Brazil, which means Ronaldinho is going to be coming to Sarandí. Um, wow. And the winners of qualifier number five, which is where well, it's going to be San Paulo, who beat Bolivar 5 0 um, in the first leg of that. So surely they're, okay, they're away the second leg, but you wouldn't have thought they were a 5 0 lead, is it? Venice are in a group with Peñarol, Emelec, and one of. Here we go again. Uh, one of Leon or Deportes Iquique. Leon from Mexico, Deportes Iquique. Uh, no, uh, yes, Peru. Um, um, yes. Uh, we were just saying before we started recording, there are more teams in the Copa Libertadores who I know nothing about this year than I think any year since I started watching it about 11 years ago. It, it'll be interesting the, if the Peñarol fixture is quite interesting because obviously it was against Peñarol that, that uh, Santiago Silva missed his penalty yeah, just a couple of years ago in, this, in the semi final, yeah. um, which would have really set up a, a, a brilliant final with Santos as it was Peñarol went and then um, were just. Really played off the park by uh, uh, by. They by held their, they had their own in there, like they definitely yeah. Yeah, second leg there were. Was it two one in the second leg? Were, yeah. Santos were all over them. Yeah. Um, maybe not. You know, wasn't reflected in the in the final scoreline, but they were 
Yeah, yeah they need uh, to nick something in there. And that also ended up with, with a big uh, bust up as well, actually. Uh, oh, of course it did, yeah. But um, that's by the by. Um, but yeah, Vélez, uh, immediately you'd look, you'd look at them and think they're the best uh, suited or, or to have the best squad, really, to, to cope with. Yeah. Um, you think so Arsenal with Minero and, and Sao Paulo in the group in the group they're going to be Very going home pretty soon yeah, yeah. Uh, the other side of course is the Torneo uh, Inicial runners up New old boys who are in the group with Lara Venezuela no nothing about Universidad de Chile and one of Defensor Sporting or Olimpia either one of them could be there's some big teams there. I know yeah, Universidad de Chile. They've they've waned a little bit since last year. Like you know, there's just been so many players leaving. Obviously, yeah. San Paoli left to uh, to go to coach Chile. It's going to be interesting. The New Orleans and them in the same group is two sort of fairly BLC star sides. I think the matches. Yeah, Dario Franco, right? Who's in charge of who replaced San yes. Paoli? Yes, uh, yes. He plays a very similar type of football. Um, a very different, similar sort of school of thought, really. To to how the game should be played so, but it's a tough group though definitely, definitely yeah mm. very open group I'd say. Yeah. just like I think the I group feel a, yeah. a hot road trip up to Rosalia to see one of those games that could be a it it's going to be a similar group I don't know if you saw it if, if any of our wealthiest year. listeners would like to offer sponsorship uh, please contact oh, you can get a train for 70 pesos don't, don't tell them <laughs> 700 yeah. pesos but that, 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 how long does the train take to get up to Rosario 7-8 uh, hours <laughs> if this is like what 350 kilometres yeah I'd have to give him that 3 or 4 hours on the road yeah. no it's about 1-8 no, no, it's, no it's, it's like a 3 and a half hour drive yeah. I think 4 hour drive anyway yeah so that, that, that's what we think of uh, each one. What about Boca's uh, group? Obviously, Boca first year back in the Libertadores is last year after a six or seven year absence, and they got all the way to the final. Since when, of course, they've lost Juan Ramon Riquelme, who we'll be getting on to in, in just a minute. Um, they're in a group with Nacional, who are very recent semi finalists. Finalists? Did they reach the final? A couple of years ago, semi finalists, definitely. No, Peña Rock with them. Peña But Nacional have got Ricola. And, and Toluca and yeah. Barcelona. I mean, You'd expect Boca to get out of that group, but do we think they can go far and get under Bianchi now? Well, Boca with Bianchi is already... It's, it's that they're going to be the classic. Yeah. Well, it's, well, it's the cliche yeah. of walking onto the pitch and you've already, got, already scored a goal, isn't it? Yeah. But, um, but by the same token, Boca under Bianchi were, were never a side that used to win like 4 or 5 nil. I mean, they're always you know, fairly sort of conservative um, outlook, you know, a lot of counter-attacking and relying on a bit of quality up front, which they do have. For sure. Yeah, there is. Um, but I mean, Bianchi's. I mean, there's. You know, he's one of the all-time great coaches in, in the game, yeah. let alone South American game. So you've got you've got to rate the chances. Yeah, no, without a doubt. I don't, yeah, they're going to start as one of the favourites, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, the best coach, the most successful coach working in this year's Libertadores, right? Yeah, it's got to be one of the most successful working in world football, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, and, and this is his stomping ground, and it's four yeah. Libertadores he won with Boca in the two thousands. So um, you know, have to have to rate them. Yeah, no doubt. They've they've brought well in in pre season. I think they've got some really really interesting players who have come back. Who who have they brought in? They've got Burrito Mar- Martinez, of course, River Rodriguez, and, and Chiqui Perez. Chiqui Perez, but Chiqui Perez is already injured. Okay, he, he's had his, his fifteen minutes because he came out saying. Um, um, I loved sending River down to the second division because yeah. he was at Belgrano in the the relegation playoff with River, um, and which upset a lot of people, obviously in the Riverside of, of town. But he then got injured, 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was say, Is like, he out for a long time? Slightly unfortunate. It's definitely out for like four or five weeks, I think. All right. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, not long enough for Boffin to be allowed to sign another player to replace him. <laughs> no. Long enough for this to affect the, the beginning of the championship. Um, we mentioned Riquelme. We've already mentioned, uh, funnily enough, Boca Juniors fan, Jonathan Favreau, um, who was linked very heavily with River throughout the summer. Um, it, and I said just a second ago that we would talk about Riquelme. He still hasn't got a club. We've got, how, what, about five different ones who, who have been linked with him at the moment. Tigre, of course, uh, are one of the potential favourites for his side. They're the, they're the club that he grew up in. Amazing. Um, it would be fantastic. Can you imagine in the Libertadores? Yeah. Oh, yeah they have when you say like that, now they've qualified for the Greek stages, it's not it's that. It's totally on. No, exactly. Yeah. It's totally, I don't know if I go as far as to say it's totally on. It is. It is it's not about money. No. It's no. not about money because the whole thing with when Palmeiras, who we mentioned a moment ago, also was said to be very close to signing him. Yeah. Riquelme. Um, the story goes basically said look just just tell them anything but like a ridiculous amount of money because I don't want to say no but yeah. just tell them a ridiculous amount of money which they did and Palmeiras came back saying yeah yeah we'll pay that he's like well <laughs> hang on uh, tell them a bit more then and they said yeah yeah we'll pay that until Palmeiras had, yeah. had elections so that changed but um, so it's not about the money though because no. we can't have all the money oh, needs okay. yeah. um, and, and there's a huge thing about quality of life now for for someone like that and for someone like him yeah. and you know he said look I'm happy you know drink, having mate with my mates yeah. and if you play the tea then basically he's 20 minutes from his house yeah he's a kid from Don Guardato like exactly. which is just around you, the corner from do, the grounds you do wonder why he doesn't just retire don't you no he's got he's got a couple of years left in him yeah sure but he hasn't played for seven months already and he clearly isn't desperate to start mm-hmm. playing otherwise he'd be accepting offers from all the summer well he was going to go to the States with Bianchi this is what the whole problem is. Yeah. He was go- uh, Bianchi, and he both had a. Well, Bianchi had the offer, and Bianchi had agreed to take Ricomi with him to Galaxy, was it? Possibly. I can't no, remember. I think that's wrong. I think it was someone else, but uh, I don't. I'm sorry, I don't remember. But it was the, the deal was was pretty much done uh, until Boca obviously called up Bianchi. Bianchi changed his mind, and and that's apparently where part of the problem is that Ricomi was expecting to be in MLS this year with a certain yeah. type of contract playing with Bianchi um, and obviously he's still in Don Toquato having Mate and yeah. which is which is perfectly happy with so it's not a problem but I mean um, uh, Argentino Junior say they're calling him the president uh, so what it says yeah. he's calling yeah. him every single day <laughs> to try and get him to go back to Argentinos as we all Argentinos know is where he started out as a player where he started out but he's a TV supporter so it could be great. I'd know. love to see. Like, I'd honestly I'd love to see. It. it would be incredible. I'd, I'd get a season ticket to TV if you. No, you could, that's yeah, it. Sold, but they don't. But I mean, no. you know, it's that kind of thing. You make it. Become a socio. Like, become a socio. Just around the corner from your ass. Like, you get yeah, like, getting that training. It's not too far. It's yeah. It's you know, about twenty minutes. You know where I think you should sign for? Go on. Riquelme is looking for a club. Ramon Diaz is looking for an enganche. <laughs> and you know, Riquelme would love to piss off Angelisi, Boca's president. I think I think Raquel should come to River. You can you can keep dreaming, Sam. We'll, we'll let you have that. that. We wouldn't do that to the fans. I wouldn't say it's a dream exactly, but it would be really fucking funny. <laughs> not that it's going to, of course. Nobody's even mentioned it, apart from me just now. No, because it's just not. <laughs> nah. He, there is, I mean, with the amount of coverage and media and television and radio and everything there is here, you know, there's a lot of space for for football managers, coaches, presidents to say a lot of stuff. So there's a huge archive, and and there is a question put to Raquel. I mean, he, he did apparently someone says that I, I haven't seen it myself, but he says that 
he wouldn't have minded between sort of because he, he doesn't support Boca mm. or River. Yeah. Um, but he's a team red fan, so of course he wouldn't mind. Between well, and he started out Argentino, so he's you know he's but um, but his folks are a Boca, and so mm. you wouldn't want to. That's life would just become unbearable for him if he went to River. Like, oh, it's just not. He gets no, spat no, in the no, street. No, his no, parents no. get murdered. Probably. Uh, I'm going to play some music now, and then when we come back, we will answer a few of your questions. I think I'm, I'm not sure we've got any other major transfers to round up if we remember any during this interlude we will come back to them so don't go anywhere that we've had um, so I'll ask them and then we shall discuss more broadly um, the first one is from Chris Sullivan who's asking why are Argentina failing to produce at youth level since 2008 and will it improve um, the other is from Charlie Rose who asks what changes do the Argentine youth squads need to uh, pardon me what changes do the Argentine youth squads need to make to improve their miserable standing at under 20 level um, this is following of course the News miserable the developments that the Sudamericano Sub 20, the South American Under 20 Championship, um, which of course acts as the qualifying competition to the, the World Youth Cup, um, which is being held in Turkey, Turkey, one or not, um, later this year in, in June, July. Uh, Argentina have once again failed to qualify. Yeah. This is two years after failing to qualify for the last one in Colombia, and it's one year after. No, they were in the World Cup in Colombia. Yeah, they didn't get the Olympics. Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they didn't get to the Olympics. They failed to qualify for the, the last but one World Youth Cup. Yeah. Um, uh, it's not so much the players, is it? No, 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 no. This, this is what I want to say. Chris's questions uh, by using the word "produce," I've just, I've pulled that up. I mean, I know you just tweet the question; it's fine. But I mean, what I mean is that I'd say more than anything, it's not, they're not delivering. I mean, yes. I mean, we look at the production, look at the quality of players that Argentina has. Yeah. I mean, immediately say uh, Leandro Paredes. Then Ganche Boca didn't didn't go. Um, Icardi didn't go. Dybala didn't go. Dybala didn't go. Yeah. Ocampos didn't go. Yeah. These are all for different reasons. Yeah. But these are all players who've who've been picked up at a very young age and have moved over to you. I mean, Icardi obviously left yeah. when he was like seven. But it is it was some different like. There's a bit of an issue, bit of an issue yeah. there with the, with the coach, you're right. But I mean, Ocampos and Dybala was that the clubs wouldn't release him, and, and Icardi was, uh, was the same. But I mean, Icardi scored four goals at the weekend for Sampdoria. Um, I mean, these these are obviously quality yeah. players. I'd say the same goes for for Lanzini. Centurion and Vieto yeah. were, were fantastic last year. I'd say Iturbe yes. hasn't delivered on the promise no. of three years ago, two years ago. But the point is that there's there's great quality yeah. there. But then you've but just made exactly the point, like exactly the point I see. All of the players you just named, the players that were there, the players that weren't, you can also add like Centurion, Vieto, like the, the the Racing guys who were there, and I think Vieto was probably one of the only guys who really kind of followed through on his promise in mm. the South American under 20s that like he scored a few goals but the problem is yeah we just named eight forwards eight attacking players yeah. not one defender like mm. the defence in especially I saw the game against Paraguay was absolutely atrocious so like, they didn't score like, either I mean this is the they thing. didn't score no but the thing yeah I mean the, it's, the not, it's, really it's not they lost it's yeah. not they lost you know 3-2-4-3 three, three. no 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 they no. didn't score no 
And so, I mean, you're absolutely right. Yeah. That they're not. I mean, but this is the thing is, if you don't have the base behind them, the attack yeah. can't function. Like this is this is the thing in football. Like you got to have a balanced team. Yeah, well, it's, it's it's the the short blanket, isn't it? You can't cover all aspects. So yeah. if you go, if you cover, if you attack too much, you leave at, at the back exactly. and, and, and vice versa. But um, but I mean, the issue of the defenders is is exactly the same as the full national team has as well. That you know, there's not the same quality, but. All the same, you do think that right, fine. If you got a back four, you can play a little bit more, you know, rustically. If you like, just hoof it up. Yeah. As long as it gets the players up front, you know, if you play with a, that kind of a, sure. that amount of ability close to goal, then, then they should be able to produce something. But um, I mean, yeah, you have to you have to wonder quite what. Uh, yeah, after we mentioned, you know, Batista. Yeah. Playing to make the, the World Cup, and then um, Pedas. Um, Pedas. But that's yeah. was uh, who missed out on the on the Olympics. Yeah. I mean, it is now you know three or four years of, of failing to achieve. And so we're, we're basically we're pointing the finger here at uh, Ugo Torbiani, right? Who Marcelo the manager, who as soon as he was uh, who, as soon as he was appointed was a fairly obvious bizarre appointment to make. I mean, he's had a very ordinary career mm. as a club manager. Um, I think one decent season in about eight seasons um, in the Peruvian and. Chilean leagues I think he's, he had a half decent season at uh, Cesar Vallejo or somebody in Peru once you know, yeah. in, in his most recent season before he got the job and apart from that it was he, he got one of the biggest sides in Peru relegated um, yeah, I mean, also, you, so also, I mean, international management or coaching, anyway, is, is very different from clubs, I mean, and, and, and youth is can, youth is very different as well. Yeah, yeah sure, but I don't know I, mean, I mean, Peckerman hasn't hasn't won Libertadores or, or, or league titles around, but Peckerman is, you know, is, is no, sure, but that doesn't mean that you can name somebody who is fairly demonstrably a dreadful club manager to a national squad and expect, expect it to. Yeah, be. but yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same problem that, that I know that Seba would be ranting about if, if he was on. Today, because he's done it many times in the past on here, um, the, the the jobs for Diego's mates thing that came in after Maradona, yeah, that's the, exactly, yeah. Precisely. the full national, and Maradona's mates is probably more precisely more than okay. Precisely. So I don't think you can say is Maradona's mates has been out of the job for three years now. No, but it's the it's the eighty-sixth generation that class, and, and they're still yeah exactly. And in fact, Dan, you have a very good point that you made during the whilst I was playing the music to to the listeners um, about Colombia, the fact that they're doing so well at youth level and in fact at full national level yeah. with Jose Pecoman now in charge. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, this is a guy with you know doesn't need to prove to anyone his pedigree at youth level, and obviously we can't say how much um, he's influenced at youth level. He's only been in the job well, about a year now, but. Obviously, like Colombia have come in, they're top of the final stage at the moment with three wins out of three. They're the top scorers in the whole in the whole competition, and you know, obviously, we know that Colombia is um, is a football nation on the rise. It's a point I've made in countless articles, and you know, it's a team that I love to watch. It's a youth team I love to watch, but obviously, you know, they've always been a team that's kind of flattered to deceive at youth level as well as senior level. But it seems that with Peckerman, things are changing. Like. The system's changing, and I can't say how much he's had to do with the youth level. This sudden improvement, because obviously I'm not, I'm, I'm not there in Colombia. I'm not working with him, but you know something's changing. You know, yeah, and one of been the improvements since he's come in. That's the least you can say. And one of the things that uh, Ferraro, the, the manager of the under-20 side that won um, the World Cup in uh, 2005, when Messi was was the player of the tournament, um, has said that he, he sees lacking now is that there's no system. No, right. exactly. and we know that Beckerman knows yeah. how to put a system in place yeah. you'd be surprised if Colombia brought him in to manage the national team and hadn't at some point at least asked him 
what do you reckon we should do yeah. with the youth coaching while you're here? No, exactly. And I think what coaches always want, or kind of the ideal for any coach, and I, it happens in all the best run youth systems, is that you have the under 17s, the under 15s, the under 20s playing exactly the same system as as the full team. That patently mm. clearly didn't happen with Argentina. You know. The Argentine team, obviously, you know, they got messy for a start, which which helps. But in under 20s, they they started with a 4-2-3-1 and then they changed to a 4-4-2 and then tried with a 4-4-3 and tried with three at the back tried with know, six in the middle god knows what and yeah there was just no system and he only had time with the players I think he took them away from their clubs in the middle of December so he had a good month they were on home soil the, the tournament was played in Mendoza and no it was just there was no effort to kind of put this style in there's been no working from working from the ground you know and I think that's where it goes wrong like there's no there's no coherency and there's no nothing like that, you know. Mm. Uh, I'm going to move on now. Uh, you're going to hear a little more of English Dan's voice because there's a question that I was asked on Twitter, not for the podcast, but I promised that I would ask it to him on the podcast this week. Um, following, as Joel mentioned, Mauro Icardi uh, scored four goals on Sunday uh, for Sampdoria. And following that, I was asked on Twitter whether he's better than Luciano Vieto. And I've promised the person who asked me, uh, Gian Juan, that I would ask English Dan that same question is Mauro Icardi better than Luciano Vieto Dan? it's a big question first of all I want you to look up Mauro Icardi on Wikipedia and get a load of his full name because it's a thing yes. of beauty he's Mauro got that Emmanuel Icardi Rivero Rivero Donacio Mieto so yeah, so, yeah it's, it's a fantastic name so <laughs> he's got that to start with it's always important and he came to prominence for me I think I've sort of heard his name there and about in um in relation to this uh, under 20s we just said that Sampdoria didn't let them go because you know they're fighting relegation in Serie A and he's kind of getting important and you've got to say he made the right choice he came to prominence for me because I was watching a game away to Juventus where yeah. he scored two and brought him back to I think it was a 3-2 win 2-1 two, 2-1 one. Two, one. Yeah. oh he scored both goals that's right yeah. yeah and that's when he he sort of got it Came into my um, my consciousness, and no, he looks a fantastic player. What I'd say is, you can't make a direct par- comparison between him and Vieto. I would have loved to see actually them two playing together in the under twenties, because you've got Icardi is more of a traditional number nine. He's very strong, very pacey. He gets behind the um, the last marker and very good finisher. Whereas yeah. Vieto is a little bit of a finer player he's mm. he's been playing kind of centre forward for Racing as kind of this like one man in the 4-3-2-1 uh, sort of formation but for me he's more of a kind of a he's a second striker almost a number 10 so they complement each other well at a youth level if they had the chance to play and he was signed by Barcelona B in 2008 at which point the Spanish and Argentine press started calling him the next Maradona uh, sorry, the next Messi. Well, he's, he's a kid, yeah. And he's born in Rosario. Years ago, so yeah. At the time, Messi himself was 20 years old. You know. um, yeah. Well, he's born in Rosario, he's a Newell's yeah. fan, he moved so. to Spain, I think, at the age of six. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's not really he's anything like really Messi. He's, he's, as you say, far more of a, a target man. He's very fast and, and a yeah. very good finisher. But but I'd, say, um, I'd say you've got to give him the edge at the moment over Vieto just for what, you know. If you're scoring goals and scoring lots of goals in Serie A, then... You're a, more you're a very, very a respectable number of goals in. <laughs> um, yeah, I wouldn't say I don't know if it's more impressive or not. Because obviously, like Racing, you know, it's a massive club with um, massive pressure, sure, and this Rass- guy's just been kind of thrown in as Racing are one of the, the best teams. Racing are one of the best teams in a relatively weak league, whereas Sampdoria are a newly promoted side in a much stronger league. Yeah, this is true. Um, and I'm not saying I, I think he's hands down. 
yeah. definitely better. I'm just saying it's no, but the, you can't. Been a very you simply team. can't compare Serie A in terms of quality to, to the Argentine league. And the other thing that goes with this is that he moved over very young, so he's done all his youth team training in Europe. Yeah, yeah. And this is where it, there's a yeah. massive difference. The, exactly. the competition, the quality, the, the facilities that he's had available to him are very different to, to Vieto. So in terms of natural talent, yeah. I don't know. But I think right now, you have to say that Icardi is, is doing it, is producing, delivering in um, in in what is a much much higher level. I'll be saying Vieto. I'll be saying that Argentine coaching, which has had a reputation for decades now of always bringing through fantastic young players, especially in attacking positions, is coming into problems in that regard. Then is it? Uh, I wouldn't say it's problems. No, 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 no. Going back to the Ferraro interview yeah. that I mentioned a little earlier, the. The guy who was manager when, when Messi's Argentina won the 2005 World Cup yeah. Championship, he actually feels that, that that's what's happening. That they they Argentina have well, stayed think, still, and yeah. the rest of the world is no. I think it, it's an unfair comparison. Like if you're going to start comparing, as you say, this guy Icardi was in the Barcelona youth at in 2008 when he was what 14. You put any 14 year old promising Argentine in the Barcelona youth and they're going to turn out a decent player, you know. You can you can probably bet. Whereas yeah, obviously here it's it's a country with much much fewer resources. The training facilities are going to be are going to be much more more limited. I think was it must have been about five or six years ago where or was it the racing the racing players had to go to Chile to play a friendly in order to get hot water back or fix a boiler in their dressing rooms, mm. and that was for the first team. This is kind of the difference in. And scale the difference in level we're talking about, you know. No, the economies of the Argentine clubs is, is absolutely shot. But um, very recently, I spoke to uh, Gabriel Rodriguez, who's been a very important, um, very, he's been an excellent youth team coach at San Lorenzo and at River Plate. And and he was saying that you don't you don't teach football, you perfect it. Mm. Yeah. And you know, it was, was a very interesting idea, and we you know, we mentioned a lot about that and spoke about that. And and the point is that you know, youth youth. Uh, age, very young ages. All you can do is start. Is you can only work what you what, what you've got within the first place. And so, sure, facilities aren't great here, but if you've got talent, you know that that will come yeah. through. And the point is, though, that I mean, obviously, then Icardi and, and Vieto are both, both extremely talented players. But um, but as you said, it, working at Bar- Barcelona's uh, youth system is completely different to working at uh, Racing or Independiente or, or River or Bocas is is now. It's closer to the Barcelona model yeah. because it was because uh, they, they have the partnership there, but, uh, but, but mean, very few clubs have that yeah. have that kind of uh, those facilities. I mean, I remember very vividly because basically it was taking the piss out of mercilessly by Racing. Just what in 2012 or 2011, we're talking very recently. Like a picture came out of um, basically all the independent the youth players showering basically on in a like under a hose pipe in the corner of their, their complex because the water had all cut out in, mm. in the dressing rooms like in the showers you just think like this is a club who, who produced like Cunaguero just what five you know eight was, years ago was Dani Dennis yeah in the last what five years exactly but 40 million dollars yeah. coming into the club yeah. and, the, and, the, and the kids have to train like exactly that's how they treat them you know it's just you think that's got to be their, their biggest concern, no? Yeah, yeah. That's where all the money comes from in Argentine football, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, moving on to more questions. Matthias Silverstein asks whether Rojas' bicycle kick against Boca Juniors, this is in the last Super Classic or not in, in tonight's, which will be last night's by the time you hear this, 
uh, remind us of Francesco in 1986 against Poland? It's a good question for Matthias because it's scored in the same city, same stadium, um, and in the same situation because it's a friendly. And so it's a beautiful bicycle kick. Francesco is probably more spectacular, but um, Francesco was against Poland in, in a friendly. Um, Rojas, exactly the same. No, it's for River Plate. For River, River will play in Poland, didn't they? They certainly were. Oh, right. So, um, by, really by default, if it's in a friendly, you know, yeah. I've scored a couple of nice goals on Thursday night, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't, that's a complete lie, but even if I had, you know. Um, yeah, you know, so but by it being a friendly, then um, it, it slightly takes away from it. That said, though, um, it spectacular. it's great. Yeah, but I saw it. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful... Ex- beautifully executed uh, bicycle kick. He also asks how common are bicycle kicks in the Argentine league. The only other one that I can remember was most competitive, and it was Lisandro Lopez's. In was it 2011? It was voted the second oh. best goal in the world, or something by FIFA. Yeah, it was year. in the top ten. I don't, I don't know if he made top three, but he was in the top ten. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. There's, 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 a, there's a few. Other. I mean, how common are they on a world scale? Yeah, I guess as common here as, as anywhere yeah. else. Yeah. Um, sad. Indeed. Um, next question. Rupert Fryer asks, do you think Riquelme will ever succeed in his quest to cause Boca President Angelisi to suffer a complete mental breakdown? <laughs> I think as soon as I heard you say Rupert Fryer, I guess the uh, question would be about the question again. Yeah. Uh, if you sign for River, definitely. Yes. Which is why I say you should do <laughs> Even if you sign for Tigre, actually, like the sight of Riquelme coming out in the Bombonera in the Tigre shirt and getting a massive standing ovation, <laughs> that would, yeah. That would be a lot for Ankelisi. I don't think Ankelisi really minds too much. You don't? No, um, I don't know. I think if he'd minded that much, he would have, uh, he would have, he'd been able to sort it. I'm sure. But we all know this yeah. is quite tongue-in-cheek question. So, um, Jack Rathbone. <laughs> Jack Rathbone asks: Is Nicolas Blandi a bit special, or are Catania just taking a chance on him? They've reportedly had a bid rejected for it. Uh, Blandi was he was in the papers yesterday because Boca. Boca wants to loan him out for six months basically to give him playing time mm-hmm. and they've got apparent interest from Spain from Italy from I think Germany or France or somewhere I saw something today about him staying in Argentina or somewhere. I don't remember who but um, I really like him I've, I was, I've always been a fan of Blandi yeah. I think he's always been a bit yeah. unlucky with injuries and kind of with playing time but every time I've seen him he's ahead of him as well in the squad he's well, well, yeah. really got yeah, right yeah, exactly. this is your chance nah. you're well, our exactly every time he's had you know Palermos, a little extended well. run of games and you know we saw it in Argentinos and we saw it when he was online and we saw it in Boca that time before he he had a pretty pretty serious injury he scores goals and mm. no he's not the finest of players he's not the most skillful but no, he's very complete though, though, yeah, he? he's very complete you know he's, he's, he's his head he's all, feet, yeah. um, I really like him like good investment for any kind of Catania type club Especially because Catania already got plenty of Argentine. Yeah, yeah wouldn't, wouldn't have sure sure wouldn't have a problem yet settling in. No. He'd be one of the best, I think, if he went to Catania. Yeah. I'd say he'd be one of their best players. They've got a lot of fairly ordinary Argentines, not so. Um the harsh? Yeah. <laughs> well, I know I they mean, win the Argentine league if they were here, according to Mr Simeone at least. No, no, but I mean yeah, I mean obviously they're, yeah, they're, 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 they're not into Juventus quality, but I mean they're you know, they're good professionals. Yeah. They're they're playing week in, week out in Serie A. Yeah. Catania yeah. always held their own mid table. Mm. You know. Uh Luis Bessone, finally, this I think this is the last question we've got. As which squad no, it's not, because I'm not actually looking at the email questions yet. It's the last Twitter question we've got. Luis Bissoni asks, which squad improved the most in the break with acquisitions, departed problem players and injured players returning? And which one suffered the most? Oof. 
gents, you've been here, you've been following the probably following the transfer market a bit more closely than I have. Mm. Uh, I know that Ritter have brought in Juan Manuel Torbe just today. Um, as well as Vangioni. And Vangioni, yeah, no, no, Vangioni. Um, Apart from that, I'm not really sure. I, I think you've got to look at you got to look at Boca. They've brought together again uh, Borita Martinez and Santiago Silva, which, as we know from the time in Vélez, was a pretty um, pretty explosive forward partnership. So that's the, and they've also brought in uh, a couple more players as well. Have they got a replacement for Schiavi? Have they got somebody going to be able well, to pick Chiqui Pérez? He's injured yeah. at the moment, so um, but they've got a couple of centre backs. I mean, Caruso was was you know Schiavi himself said. Uh, that Caruso was the player to to, yeah. to replace him anyway, so so he's already there anyway. Um, there hasn't been that much movement to be honest. Independiente brought back uh, Rolfi Montenegro, yeah, which is which is massive for not just for what he delivers on the pitch, yeah. and brilliant free kick, nice, good organizer, um, great shot from from range and that. But it's definitely it's a gamble. That kind of moves again. Well, it's getting on in ages. Yeah. But it's also it's also having that the espalda, isn't it? It's having the shoulders to be able to take a bit of the pressure because things are pretty tight at Independiente over the next yeah. uh, six months. So so the, as much as anything is that, it's the boost institutionally and, and for the been, fans as much as what he delivers on the pitch. He's been during his whole time in Mexico one of the best players in that league. Yeah, he's and the Mexican well. league, I, I think, is yeah. better to say stronger than the Argentine yeah. league. Yeah, for sure. Um, then, um, he's been yeah. absolutely brilliant. Isn't it? Then on the other side, I don't, I don't think I've mentioned Racing enough in this podcast. So we'll, we'll steer it towards that. Like Racing, on the other hand, it looks like Ricardo Centurion. It's not kind of the ink's not dried on the deal yet. But yeah, tell us what happened. Uh, Centurion went to Anzi. The fee was agreed, and then Anzi had said that they were going to what to take him at the end of the season. Yeah, but essentially the deal was it was kind of well, we'll say as it was reported when it first came out was that Anzi would take. Centurion, like they'd sign him now uh, for about 7.5 million euros, yeah. and then loan him back to uh, Racing uh, for six months, so until the end of the final. Uh, he cut Centurion arrives in Belgium to uh, to do his medical, and suddenly Yancy come out and say, "Ah, oh, but no, we we never agreed to that. We want him now." So they're kind of some wrangling starts. Uh, Racing either want kind of a little bit more more cash for Centurion or they want him to, you know, to fulfil the loan and then out of nowhere during the medical a uh, report comes out that Centurion has kind of a genetic I guess you can call it a defect or a condition that's never really affected him up till now you know he's never been injured he's never really missed games since he's got into the team and if it's genetic it's congenital so yeah congenital that's the way congenital yeah so and yeah suddenly it comes out from the medical that he has this um, congenital defect on his ankle, and Ansi are now saying, "Right, now we're we're not going to put any more money in, and we want to take him right now so he can start treatment." All the deals off. All the deals off. Yeah. And yeah, for that, the whole thing really, really stinks to me. Like, I know I talked to a lot of wrestling fans, obviously, and the consensus is that you know, first of all, above any play, they've got to put the institution right. You know, seven million euros coming in is you know a um, big chunk of the debt they have. Wiped off like it's not a debt, a running debt, but it's kind of a debt that's already um, present there. So it's a big chunk of that. So if they get a good deal for him, you know, you can sort of sort of take it. But yeah, it's a record for the club, isn't it? It'd be a record, but I think everyone thought, you know, you have figures thrown around at 10 million, 15 million, and mm. then you know the first people that come in 7.5, and it's a whole complete mess. And yeah, and and the other thing things is- come out. It's yeah, something something stinks about it, and it's not 
been well handled at all. We'll have to see if it finally goes through because it's not been confirmed, but it looks like he's going and it's yeah. not a great deal. I don't think and the other thing is, as well as losing Centurion, who I think anybody who saw Racing last season would say he's definitely one of their best players, mm-hmm. they've also managed to piss Luis Farina off with the whole thing because they rejected Farina's transfer requests and, and rejected a, an offer of, what, €4 million Euros or something for, for him on the basis that Centurion was already gone. Yeah. and they couldn't let them both go in one window yeah. you think well fair enough but then the Centurion deal almost got called off and they could have, have called Centurion back and sold Farinha Farinha doesn't seem too happy about being made to stay well, I think the biggest issue here I, I don't know if it's necessarily Farinha but you always have to look at the agents behind these deals especially in these young Argentine players they have so so much sway over them. you know you get in the press like the player will come out one day you know I love this club and I want to stay here until I die and then the agent will come out the next time we and say we have three or four offers from Europe and we're looking at them very closely. Like I think, you know, Centurion probably had never even heard of Ansi before this before this deal came through. So it's definitely you know there's there's a hand behind all of this. Every single deal involving these young players like pushing and pushing and pushing them towards the door. And then at the other side, you know, they're in really close with the directors and all sorts of things are going through. Like. It's very, very rarely like a clean business. Yeah, on that note, just very quickly, um, tip of the hat to Herbes, the holding midfielder at yeah. Boca, who was sold, agreed uh, a deal to um, a club in, in Russia whose name I'm, I'm sorry, I really don't, don't remember. Was it Ankar or something? Around there? No. Ka- Ruben Kassan? No, 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 it wasn't. It, it, was, it was a club that nobody here right. at any rate had heard of, and I include myself in that. Um, and then everyone was saying, oh, yeah, just ridiculous, he's going to a club that... And the player turned it down. He said he, yeah. he didn't want to go just for, just for a bit of cash. He wanted to play somewhere where also sort of he, was, uh, he felt comfortable. And he turned down the, the moves that had been brokered by his agent, who'd gone on radio saying oh, it was a really okay. good deal yeah. for, for the player. Um, so, to that to Erdbez for sort of staying, mm. wanting to learn a bit more at Boca and then moving somewhere a bit more mainstream, if you, uh, yeah. if you care to say it. I'm just googling who the team are, so we'll see how, how impressive Joel's knowledge of, of Russian football is, or otherwise. Uh, it was. Oh, that report just says a Russian team. It doesn't mention them by name. That's not a <laughs> typical Argentine football journalism, therefore. Maybe they haven't had a team. ESPN FC are bound to have somebody. They'll, they've got a good team of reporters, or so I've heard. Kuban Krasnodar. Well, to hand, you oh, man, you've never heard of him. Yeah, I apologise. Um, I'm with you, mate. Mm-hmm. Indeed. I was close with Ruben. Like, Ruben Kuban. <laughs> yeah. It's there. Yeah, it's there. Right. And uh, Kazan as well, like. <laughs> Kazan Kuban. On that note, though, we're talking about Centurion. Uh, we're on to email questions now, and Dan Williamson has a couple for us. The first is How do you think Centurion cope <coughs> with the culture and language in Russia? Do you think he has the med- mental and physical t- toughness to cope? I don't think that's really going to be the issue. Like the issue is obviously, Russia is a very, very difficult place for any Argentine player to come. You saw with a player of the quality of uh, Maxi Morales, who moved to uh, Russia when he was what, 19 after starting in Racing. Last year, Lopez. Lasted about um, no, never. Start lasted about six months. Got about two games and then and then came back. And I think I don't know. I think more than anything, you know, whether they go well or or go, go pretty poorly in Russia the real issue is that they just end up completely out of the radar like, you go to Russia you might as well disappear 
apart from because no, I mean Brazilian players don't seem to find the same thing you get players based in Brazil being called up to the Brazilian national side but I don't think so they're, they're playing I mean that, that is the thing that if I, I think Anzia have Champions League football don't they yeah. so that, that changes it that changes yeah. it enormously Europa League I think they can play Liverpool in Europe this, this, this season Okay, well, I think they're expecting. I think they're expecting though to get. Um, I don't know. But how, how uh, no, you're right. They might have qualified already. I, no, I think they have qualified. So, so that changes things an awful lot. But you're right though, because you look at a lot of the players that go over. Um, I mean, Cristaldo, Jonathan Cristaldo. Yeah. Remember him? I mean, yeah. you know, he was like really Fantastic. high rated. Yeah. I mean, he's had injury problems. Sebastian Blanco yeah. also had injury problems. But again, a player who was very highly rated. Yeah. Mark, Marcus Rojo. He was fantastic in his Durantes and he's just seemed to stand still since since moving to Spartak, is it? Uh, yes. He's still got him into the national team, he's one exception uh, basically because he was an Estudiantes ex player, as well as Sosa, yeah. But Steady. Oh, we're, yeah. we're not oh, oh Sosa. I forgot I was in the presence of uh, a <laughs> Sosa, Sosa defender. The Sosa fan club, I think. Yeah. <laughs> solitary <laughs> member of the yeah. Sosa fan club. Um, chairman, I'm the chairman, treasurer, I'm the president. chairman of <laughs> Question two from Dan Williamson is I know you have some disparaging remarks about the summer friendlies. Commercial exploitation aside, what struck me about, uh, we should mention that, that Dan is uh, studying in, in Cordoba uh, for this year. He said, what struck me about the triangular tournament here in Cordoba between Instituto, Belgrano and Tacheres was the intensity of the games. It felt like I was watching FA Cup games. Do you think intensity is a good thing or a bad thing in terms of preparation of the teams and players, or does it not make a difference seeing as every team is in the same boat? Uh, the first thing I'll say about the intensity is, is that partly is that all, all of those matches in the triangular tournament are classicos, mm. and they're classicos between teams who never get to play each other because they're in three different divisions. So that's that probably the intensity we're talking off, Yeah, that's my point when we're talking off Mike, you cheeky bastard. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, okay. I thought it was. Yeah. Continue. Um, no, that, that was it. I mean, uh, I'm sure if. <laughs> I'm sure you'll continue to watch the Copa Libertadores but at the same time if you do flip over to, to Boca River or whatever even though it's a summer friendly it's still played with an intensity even if the, yeah. the quality and, and the desire isn't there it is It is. But you'd be surprised to see it was a friendly I, no. it is still though strange I mean you know they don't do this in many other countries around the world no. um, and this is professional football and the pre-season is to prepare for uh, to win points, yeah. you know, it, and sure, it's great to be your cross city rivals. And I would have loved to have been able to go to one of the Cordoba Clásicos. I'm sure they're amazing experiences and, and whatever. But I mean, ultimately, and you know, but this is what it's about. This is what Boca are doing this in this pre-season. I mean, they're not taking these at all seriously. They're putting out youth team players. You can argue that you need, you know, a bit of uh, match practice, obviously, to be up to speed. But but ultimately, it's about. Preparing yeah, physically, and at least that the importance of the matches is, yeah. is mm. correct. But I think you're right about whoever's point it was. I'm not going to get in, involved in this, this little <laughs> battle between you two. But uh, but um, wow, okay. whoever said it, um, it, you're right about though. The, um, the it's the only time they get to play each other, yeah. and there's, there's an enormous amount yeah. to be said for that. But I mean, it is, it is the equivalent, especially with not just with this one, but with the quadrangular in, in Mar del Plata or whatever. It's the equivalent of having a, an English pre-season tournament involving Man United, Liverpool, Man City and Everton or something. Yeah, yeah. all four. Exactly. All four in the, in the just competition. A, just a four-team competition I mean, involving just, just those Or, or, or you know, a, round, a, a, a London one, a, you know, Tottenham, Arsenal, yeah. Chelsea, West Ham. I mean, it's... Played in Brighton, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that sounds great. I'm going to sell actually, that. Actually, yeah. yeah. Does that not sound amazing? <laughs> If again, if you're a very wealthy sponsor and you would like to uh, to get on board with this idea, please get in touch with Thunderpod. 
I'm not trying to find our other question. Where is it gone? It does sound fantastic. Um, Kieran O'Connor wrote this one to me in mid-November, and I completely forgot to ask it because I wasn't logged into my email while we were recording. Um, but long-term listeners might remember that back in November we, we had a couple of episodes where we were sort of bemoaning the security situation and, and the general sort of tiresomeness of getting to matches at times in Argentina. And he wrote this to us. Um, it seems like there's a general feeling of disillusionment towards being a football supporter in Argentina with police harassment, athlete incompetence and the cancerous influence of the Barra Bravas ensuring an uncomfortable and dangerous match day experience for all. But he was kind of surprised at the assertion that the choreography and chanting is led not necessarily by Barras, but sometimes by everyday fans who can still be asked to go to games in spite of all of the bleak aspects of being a supporter in Argentina. So he asks, what are our favourite Argentine or South American chants and what are the most audacious, funny and awe-inspiring choreography and ballads and such? One of my personal favourites is the one that gets trotted out against all boys every time they play. Yeah. La Concha de Tomada, all boys. <laughs> And there's a, there's a brilliant YouTube clip of a guy doing a sort of a acoustic piano, acoustic piano version yeah. of it, which is oh, very much worth, yeah. uh, worth looking up. Which I shall try and embed on, on the uh, blog post for this week's Hand yeah. Pod, if I remember to. Yeah, you should. It, um, there's also, a, I don't know, there's also a fantastic one in, yeah, I'm going to sit with Frasim because the chance I know, you know, basically off by heart, but there is a fantastic long chant basically telling the whole story of how the club came back from the death and you know came back from bank- bankruptcy and liquidation and you know chained themselves to outside the club headquarters to stop it getting uh, what's the word auctioned off I guess like yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Liquidate, yeah liquidated mm. auctioned off that kind of thing that just tells the whole story and it's like the one that gets everyone just really rolled up on the stance and there's a fantastic clip you can find I believe it was Racing Against Independiente being played in uh, Huracan Stadium back when uh, Independiente was still building this and it's just I think Racing were about 4-0 down at the time or 4-1 down and this song, song comes on like comes through the drums and stuff and the whole terrace is just kind of mental everyone's wearing kind of yellow builders hats to make fun of Independiente because they haven't managed to finish their stadium yet and it's probably you know it's the quintessential clip of Argentine football fans, you know, absolutely getting pasted in a in a derby and still wanting to just go mental and sing. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I mean, rather than any one, I think what's interesting is to see when a lot of different clubs sing the same songs at certain clubs. So, like uh, San Lorenzo, everyone sings "De Que Barrio Sos." Yeah. Um, San Lorenzo, because of San Lorenzo, obviously having to move an awful lot. Um, there's the song about Independiente being Amargo. Yeah. Um, Boca being from Bolivia and Paraguay. Boca is the racist anthem that everyone yeah. sings of Boca. Uh, which not, not obviously not such a fan of. But um, fans all being River or Boca fans. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But what about, um, what about wrestling fans? What do they What do they hear? Because I don't tend to hear it. I don't know what they sing about against against Racing, but but also the I know what I hear a lot. Yeah, what I hear a lot in the brief kind of passages always kind of sos amargo, sos igual que independiente. Ah, right, yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, there's um, but those, those songs though, the ones that are specific are, are always the better ones. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a series of, of songs that all, every team yeah. uh, sings and just changes. Obviously, the old. There's old a few words. brilliant ones about um, Velas as well. The uh, fact that yeah. only Luis Miguel can sell out the yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but uh, in terms of the always, always one has to be my favourite just for this year, just 
silliness of it. Yeah. He's not really poking fun at any particular aspect of Althoys's existence or anything. He's just no. saying, "La congenital mother, just fuck off, Althoys." <laughs> um, ahead of the classicos, what what Newell certainly always used to do is the banderasso in the stadium. Mm. I mean, they would literally fill up the stadium mm. on a weekday mm. ahead of the classico with Central. Um, and basically, you know, the squad walk out and do a lap of, of the pitch, <laughs> and, and they literally just sing for like two hours, um, supporting them. And it might be one of the players. I mean, boring as sin. But it's hilarious. But but it's I think it's great because you know on a Wednesday or Thursday afternoon, you know you realise like, well, there's still like quite a long way to go for yeah. the game, and this lot are going nuts about this. So it's you know we need to be on 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 our, on form, you know, for for that match. But um, I, but I mean. While there are all the problems in Argentine football, the stadiums, a lot of the stadiums are still full. I mean, obviously yeah. I'm not talking about Arsenal because they have an Argentinos because these are clubs that don't have that many supporters. And that's not a dig, that's just fact. But I mean, I think what you the, find big well, five, yeah. the big five are all packed. Yeah. With the all traditional packed. big five clubs, all of them uh, are expanding in terms of membership, in yeah, terms of absolutely. Uh, attendances. Like, it's going up and up and up. Mm. So there are lots of problems. It can be dangerous, and it is dangerous at times. But um, I mean, certainly, you yeah. know, River Boca, Brasil, Independiente, San Lorenzo. I'd say quite a few other, Minura Can, yeah. um, and they're struggling in the second division. But you know, clubs that have always had large um, uh, membership and, and a lot of supporters are still there. You know, there's very few clubs that are, that are missing their you know, supporters in the stands. Even notwithstanding the chant that we mentioned a minute ago, Velas, who who announced towards the end of the torneo inicial that. From now on, if you're a non-member, you'll only be able to buy tickets for the Popular at Venice. They're not going to sell plateaus to which are the decencies. Really? Yeah. Really? Can't really see why they've done it. I, I can't, the wrong I can't imagine that there was anybody. Yeah. yeah. I can't imagine there was anybody right? going into the Venice plateau that, who wasn't already a member anyway. Uh, but they've decided to do this. Wow. To be honest, the plateaus have already priced at like 250, 300 pesos for non-members, which is sure. Sounds very strange. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, very strange decision. Uh, but even then. You know they're, they're clearly selling enough to members that they mm. don't oh, yeah. need to do this. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so yeah, in spite of everything, um, I think that that concludes this week's Hunt the Pod. Uh, we shall be back next week with a torneo final sort of preview. We're hoping to have one of Seba or Mariano, possibly both of them. Um, we're not. We're not against that idea. They just play so hard to get those. A bit like they do, yeah. Trying to hurt caps. Yes, and this, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fingers crossed at least one of them will be able to take up the offer next week to give us an Argentine perspective on today's wonderful news about Grandona, perhaps, mm. and, and about all of the other things that we're bound to be talking about next week in previewing the, the new half season. I was about to say new season, but it's not technically, is it? Um, thank you for joining us for the first time of Pod of 2013. Goodbye for now from English Dan. Goodbye. From English Joel. Goodbye. And from English me. Goodbye.